Welcome to the Tech and Main Presents Podcast with your host, Sean St. Hill. Sean is the CEO of Tech and Main, a technology consulting firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Listen in as thought leaders share their tips and insights about what's going on in the world of technology. And now, here's your host, Sean St. Hill. Thank you for joining another episode of Tech and Main Presents, where we bring you the best insights from today's leaders and experts in technology. Today, we will be speaking with Jay Bartow. Jay is the CEO and co-founder of Zeitworks. I'll let Jay tell you about his background and amazing accomplishments. But first, Jay, welcome to the Tech and Main Presents podcast. Thanks, Sean. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Again, it's the guest that makes the podcast. And so we are here to learn about you and the fabulous things going on there at Zeitworks. But Jay, before we get into that, why don't you share your background with our audience? Sure, happy to. How far do you want me to go back? Like you all the way like here? A lazy boy, Jay. Okay. <laughs> you can recline into yeah. your background as far as you want, sir. Okay. Well, so I started off as a kid wanting to be a musician. Okay, um, there you go. And played the drums, played guitar. First year in college, went to went to uh, music school in Boston. Okay. Realized realized pretty quickly, like, eh, this is going to be a hard life. Uh, it's hard, hard, a lot of good players out there and hard to make a living. So, Jay, this, just out of curiosity, was that Berkeley that you went It to? was Berkeley. See, Jay, okay, now I, 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 I got to throw the flag. I got to throw the rest flag. Jay, come on, that's Berkeley, sir. Yeah. You, that, 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 that means that you were, like, in the top 1% good. Oh, I don't know, maybe top five. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there's people in the top like 0.1%, really good people. And you, you got to be scrappy making a living as a musician. You get right. gigs when you can, you teach lessons and uh, play in wedding bands and what have you. I'm a very creative person. And so I really had a sense of wanting to do my own art, if you will. So I left Berkeley. Went to, uh, ultimately ended up at the University of Iowa, just pursuing a liberal arts education. And I was interested in anthropology and sociology, and there's some social science uh, background in my family. But I was still doing music, though. I was doing music composition, and uh, I was doing it on, and I'm going to date myself here, I'm sorry, but I was doing... Uh, recordings on multi-track tape recorder, and it was those those things were kind of kind of crappy. And uh, a friend of mine said to me, he said, "You really should be doing this stuff on computers. If you go down to the computer center at school, they'll lend you the money to buy a computer." Oh, wow. And so I was like, "Someone would lend me money? That's crazy. They're they're insane." But I went down. And I got a Macintosh. This is late 80s. And I started doing music production with MIDI uh, on my Macintosh and realized really quickly, like, this thing was the ultimate instrument. I could compose on it. I could write on it. I could draw pictures with it. I could do all kinds of stuff with it. And I kind of became obsessed with it. And then one day I got it into my head, like, could I program this? Could I make my own programs? And that same buddy said to me, I don't think so. A programming's hard. You got to be a math geek and all of that stuff. And I was like, ah, I don't know, man. I feel like I could do it. And so I started teaching myself how to program. And uh, next thing I know, I changed my major to computer science oh, and started pursuing that track and got obsessed with programming and got really interested in other kinds of programming like graphics programming and uh, imagery and uh, image processing and all, all these kinds of things. 
And so out of school, again, kind of serendipity, I started working at smaller companies as a software engineer. And before I knew it, I was working at small startups that were backed by venture capital money. This is mid-90s now. Internet is here starting to take off. People are excited about it. And uh, started really kind of thinking about, hey, I might have some of my own ideas for some of these companies. And so started meeting the right people, and I ended up co-founding a number of very uh, technical data, machine learning, AI type companies with some faculty from the University of Washington, and just kept kept kind of running that playbook of of, uh, getting some interesting data, applying some interesting analytics and machine learning to it, and ultimately providing some value or transparency, uh, either to consumers or businesses. And so I ended up starting companies in verticals like online advertising, e-commerce, travel, uh, medical informatics, and then finally uh, consumer video analysis. Each time I managed to land these companies and different acquirers, uh, acquirers like Microsoft, uh, Hulu, Nielsen Net Ratings, Health Networks. Sometimes they were great landings and there were champagne bottles popped. Other times, as I like to say, we were coming in for a landing and the oxygen masks were dropping and we're clipping the trees, and uh, but made it safe to the ground. So all of these startups are, are experiences within themselves. And, and so uh, then uh, after selling uh, last company to Hulu, I joined a startup studio in Seattle called Madrona Venture Labs. Okay. And and Madrona Venture Lab is a pretty cool place, backed by the largest VC in the Pacific Northwest, venture capital in the Pacific Northwest, Madrona Venture Group. At Madrona Venture Labs, a handful of buddies uh, uh, and I, our charter, pretty cool, was to think up new, interesting, venture-backable technology startup ideas. And then importantly, do the research on those ideas and figure out which ones were bad ideas and which ones were really good ideas. And of course, naturally, most of them are bad ideas. Most startups fail for a lot of reasons, but a lot of times it's because the entrepreneur didn't do their homework. And so we would research, come up with these ideas and research them. We talked to other investors. We talked to lots of customers. We talked to experts in the space of whatever kind of company we were working on and figure out like, should we do this or not? And in the cases where we decided to move forward with an idea, we would then recruit entrepreneurs to come in and work on the ideas with us. We would then help those entrepreneurs by giving them a little bit of cash, helping them build a minimum viable product, get pilot customers, and then ultimately raise a seed series of financing so that they could spin out of the nest and flap their wings wildly and go off on their own and hopefully someday become big companies. Uh, one of those companies that we worked on at Madrona Labs was Zeitworks. And uh, I can tell the Zeitworks story separately, but that's kind of the basic introduction to me. Oh, Jay, that hands down is one of the coolest backgrounds, man. I mean, <laughs> Thanks. And to think that you were going to undersell that, sir. I mean, having having that 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 music passion, right? from childhood on to Berkeley, realizing, okay, we make a shift, becoming a Hawkeye out at the University of Iowa, having a a good friend, it sounds like, kind of prod you and say, hey, bro, they'll buy you a computer. Yeah. Right? And so you're still, you're still on the music path and you're still, there's, there's, there's still that, that outlet for it. 
But then you're like, oh, wait a minute. The computer does this and it does this. Well, maybe it can do this, right? And so that insatiable curiosity is 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 kicking off and like, hey, what if I what if I program my own thing? Yeah. Which which as we fast forward to today, Jay, that is that is an amazing story arc, man. I love, oh, thanks, love, man. love that. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. And I still play today. I was just jamming with some some buddies last night playing drums and bass and guitar and some Saturday afternoons that 15-year-old a 15-year-old in me awakens and I like a zombie stand up and go to my car and drive to the local music store and I don't need another guitar, but there's that voice inside me saying, "Yes, you do." And then I have to contend with my wife when I get home, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's still in there. Oh, that's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. But all of that to say, Zeitworks, right? So yeah, give us give us the story of Zeitworks. Sure. Yeah, tell us about you, the team. What's what's going on with that? Yeah, yeah. So in the in the information technology world, there's a lot of what we refer to often as like manual or repetitive business processes. That, that humans run every day as part of their work. And so think about applying for a personal loan at a bank or filing an insurance claim when you get into an accident. Somewhere there's someone who's taking your information and running a, a systematic or business process on that information. So in the case of a business loan, they need to check your credit and then they need to uh, look at how much you're asking for and look at a bunch of information in your background. And so there's a process that they go through. Some of the work that they do in these repetitive processes requires a human, it just does. It requires a smart human to look at a document and interpret the information in it or look at an image or something. Some of the work that they do could probably be automated by a computer. The human probably doesn't want to do that part of the work anyway, like copying and pasting information from one document to another or pushing information around from system to system. And so the automation technology space started to really boom uh, about five years ago. And automation technology has been around for a long time, but it, it really started to get big in 2018 timeframe. And when we were at Madrona Labs, we had a, a sage advisor uh, tell us, go look at the RPA space. RPA stands for Robotic Process Automation. And go look there because with the advances in machine learning and AI technology, this stuff's starting to get really good. And of course, when you think about things conceptually, like all throughout human history, technology has come into practice and play and evolved and allowed humans to sort of rise up the stack of cognition. So think about the Industrial Revolution, where suddenly there were steam engines and machines to plow fields, and now people didn't have to do that by hand. And so that 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 uh, evolution is always happening. And so if there's a way to use automation technologies to make people's lives easier and let them do a little bit less grunt work and a little bit more cognitively rich work uh, with their brains, then you know that's generally a good thing. So we started poking around and talking to people and doing our investigative research that I mentioned earlier. And what we found was, is that a lot of these business processes, again, processing an insurance claim, processing a loan, onboarding a new employee and in a big HR system, you name it, these things are everywhere. It turns out that they're typically not very well understood, uh, meaning that there may be 20 people at a bank processing business loans, 
uh, or personal loans, but nobody really knows what the process is. Uh, what happens is, is people start writing down at the beginning, here's the steps you need to go through. But over time, changes in the business, attrition, people coming and going, people not being properly trained, everybody kind of starts doing things their own way. And before long, you can't really predict productivity in an accurate way because some people are good at some parts of the process, some people are good at other parts of the process, and there's no way to really know what's actually going on here. And importantly, for robotic process automation, it's hard to automate something when you don't really know what the steps are in the process, and you don't really know what's the optimal way to go through the process. So we thought, okay, well, that's that's interesting. That's kind of holding up RPA. And so then we talked to more people. We talked to a lot of management consulting groups, the McKinsey's and the Deloitte's and the Ernst & Young's and a whole bunch of other ones. And they said, well, we have a solution to this. What we do is when, when an organization wants to know what their business processes are, sorry, there's a little, a little uh, noise back there. No, you're fine. When an organization wants to know what their business processes are, they hire a consulting group and the consulting group comes in and runs workshops, process discovery workshops. They bring in a lot of fresh college grads and young associates who stand over the shoulders of the people doing the work and they write down everything they see them do on a, on a notepad. And they use stopwatches to time how long they spend in different parts of the process and using different applications. And, and so when we heard that part, that was the epiphany. That was like, holy cow, that sounds terrible. That sounds, <laughs> that sounds time consuming. It sounds like it, it would be expensive. It sounds like it's only a single point in time analysis. So why not create a technology solution that observes how people work and observes how they're interacting with their applications as they go through the process, figures out what the variances are of the process executions across the team, and then helps uh, the customer ultimately understand what should this process really uh, really be? And, and then how can we standardize things, take the best behaviors and traits across the team and educate the team so that everybody's doing things in the in the best way, but also identify parts of the process that can be automated so that people don't have to do the grunt work and the, and the, and the parts of it that are just arduous. And so that's what we set out uh, to do with Zeitworks. We built a technology platform where there's a little piece of software that lives on a desktop uh, Windows machine, which is typically the, the tool of choice for uh, these kinds of operations teams. And it, it just sort of watches passively how people are interacting with uh, different applications. And it's very careful not to collect any personal information or rat anybody out or, or do anything that violates anybody's privacy. But it just wants to know, like, what are the steps? What are the patterns? Where are the bottlenecks? Where are the problems? Where are the outliers? Who may have uh, behaviors that are inefficient and could use uh, extra training to improve things? And so that's basically what we're what we're doing. Okay, and that and it's and it's funny. This is this is why I love doing the podcast, right? Because there's so many ways in which technology comes alongside a person or an organization and helps it just be that much better, mm -hmm. right? So, yes. and, and, we'll, and we'll get into how, how you help your clients a little more, maybe a, a use case or something of that sort. But the thing that, that, that just keeps sticking in my mind, Jay, is that college student 
fresh out of whatever business school or whatever major and and they get hired on it's like you're gonna go work on the xyz account and Mm -hmm. they're like yay yeah we're going to work we're gonna go earn a paycheck and that paycheck is yeah so grab that stopwatch Mm -hmm. and (laughs) and you're literally going to calculate how long it takes jay or sean to do their work yeah right and and for some that will be fulfilling jay Mm -hmm. so let's not so let's not throw cold water on a person's aspirations because you you have to start somewhere and you know that that's good honest work Mm -hmm. sure but but for you and your folks there you're like yeah that's something that we can fix yeah that is very analog, very manual. Okay. Yes, yeah. we can, we we can help you with that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And this this kind of stuff is happening all over the uh, the world, the corporate world, I'll say, where data uh, that comes from observation or measurement or some sort can can really be transformative and really help organizations and businesses uh, sort of do the right things with with real facts. Versus gut and intuition and, and these other kinds of things. And there's definitely places for gut and intuition and creativity and all those. So not to discount that. But increasingly, I think the corporate world is learning how to use data effectively to, to optimize their businesses. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And so, Jay, I mean, we've, we've kind of touched on it, but to, to kind of codify it a little more, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the issues facing your clients, your your current book of business? Yeah, it's really about uh, understanding and transparency into the work that gets done within an organization. And so, and, and in fact, a lot of the companies I've worked on uh, and co-founded uh, that were data and machine learning centric are about transparency. So we want to know like what's going on, right? We want to know like uh, when we go to, well, when we buy a house, we'll go to Zillow or Redfin. Give me some data. Tell me not only is what what this house costs, but what are the houses uh, around the neighborhood? Uh, what's the what are their values? Give me some information so I can make rational decisions. And so here we're doing something similar, but we're shining a light onto these uh, processes that get done by these by these repetitive processes that get done by these agents or. Uh, SMEs or whatever you want to call them, so that the organization can then better understand uh, how to make the work uh, ultimately more efficient. And and also not just for the benefit of the corporation, but, but also for the agent themselves. And so if an agent can see their, their statistics and stats, but also look at how they compare to the rest of their team, maybe anonymized, again, to protect privacy, then everybody can improve. Everybody can do their job better. Everybody can ultimately uh, do more of the kind of work that they like to do and requires real human cognition and, and sort of do less things randomly. 
And so really, again, Zeitworks shines a light onto how people actually work. Our tagline is understand how work really gets done with an emphasis on really. Because again, probably there's people and managers and leadership who are like, I, I think I know how these people work, but I can't always understand why that person takes longer to do this same unit of work than this other person. Or I can't really understand why that certain kinds of work, certain certain cases or, or whatever are more challenging for my team than, than other kinds of work that they do. And so when there's transparency around that, then it really empowers people, all people to make, make improvements and do better. Oh, Jay, I'm, I am loving the word transparency because, so I'm, I'm an old telecom guy. Right? Okay. And one of the things that always happens is you've got your school district or your company organization of any size, right? They get the bill, right? You're, you're billing them for data center services, for internet, <laughs> for wireless technology, what have you. Someone just pays the bill like clockwork, yep. right? It's only when you come down to that quarterly or annual account review that you start to realize Oh snap, we actually don't need mm -hmm. to be in 20 data centers. Yeah. Right? We don't actually need 300 iPads. Mm -hmm. right? So, so it's, 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 it's only when you start digging into a thing yeah. in questions, right? Kind of peeling back the proverbial onion that you yeah. realize, oh. There's a lot of waste here. Mm -hmm. There's a tremendous amount of inefficiency here, Jay. Yeah. And so, and so you, so, so you are now empowered to do something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And, 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 and that's, and that's what's clicking for me with mm -hmm. what you're talking about at SiteWorks. You guys are shining that light and you're, you're, you're finding the inefficiencies. You're, you're, you're finding the waste, if you will, yep. right? And exactly. then you're able to now say, okay, Mr. Miss Customer, right? What you gonna do about it? Because mm -hmm. here's here's here here is the undeniable proof, right? That your department, your organization, yeah, you've got 20 people that get through their responsibilities in an hour and a half. Let's say, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you got 35 people who takes them a couple of days to do the same thing. So, so now that we've now that we've helped you with that, you you've got some choices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you tra transparency is a pretty interesting topic. And I mentioned earlier, it's it's come up through my career. Uh, a number of times. So just sort of a, a quick kind of mention. And again, I, I didn't plan to do this, but you know, maybe I sort of did just because of the nature of who I am. But a bunch of the startups I've worked on uh, have been transparency plays. The first one uh, was called Ad Relevance. And this was in the late 90s when online advertising was first taking off. And I got connected to an advertising executive that came from the offline world. And he worked for big agencies that would run TV campaigns and radio campaigns and, and so forth and billboards and ads and so forth. And then online came along and he's like, okay, well, good. Like I'm going to run a campaign for my client on Yahoo and 
Alta Vista and all the other old sites and stuff out there. Sorry, I'm dating myself. And he found that there was no information out there on who was advertising what and where, which turned out to be a key thing for advertising uh, people. And the information that was available in the offline world for TV and radio and those things, it wasn't great, but it was, as my, my colleague used to say, directionally correct. And so we built technology that would that would automatically crawl around the web to these big advertising sites, look for advertisements on the page, yank them down, and uh, classify them. Like, is this a branding ad? Is this a product ad? Who was the ad for? Et cetera. And then we would pull this all together in an analytics interface that our customers would use. And so we thought it was pretty cool. Well, that's when I started to learn that sometimes uh, in transparency plays, there's people that benefit, but then there can also be people that don't like it. They don't like it one bit. And in the case of ad relevance, we, uh, the biggest, the king of the hill at the time was Yahoo. And so we would crawl their site looking for their ads and ads from third-party companies, but also Yahoo ads, ads that just advertise different Yahoo properties and products and so forth. And so we exposed, if you will, who was how much Yahoo was advertising on their own site and and uh, who was advertising there? Well, they didn't like that one bit because suddenly they were at a disadvantage that that transparency that we were giving other people who loved it was 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 not something they liked. And so they they started flinging stuff at us, if you will. But I won't go into the details there, but that was kind of my first experience. The next one uh, was a company that uh, I co-founded with a professor from the University of Washington well-known guy, Orrin, here in Seattle, he had a hypothesis that you could use machine learning technology to predict changes in airfare prices. And so why would you want to do that? Well, most of us probably know from traveling on airplanes that it's hard to know what an airplane ticket is going to cost, even when you run the same route over and over again. You go visit your mom in Chicago. I'm from Chicago. And so it's like, okay, well, how come the price is 250 today, but you know, then next month it's 500 bucks. Like what's going on here? Well, it turns out the airlines use revenue management systems to sell the right product to the right person at the right time. Sean, you and I may be both interested in going to Chicago uh, on a particular day and coming back a week later, but maybe like you have to really go because it's a business trip for you. Whereas for me going to visit my mom, if the price is too high, I'm not going to go. So they want to make sure that with their with their algorithms that 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 more expensive seat is available for you, Sean, because you've got to go. Whereas maybe there's a cheaper seat for me because I will go if the price is right. And and because uh, airline seats and hotel beds too, for that matter, are perishable products, meaning that if the plane takes off and there's an empty seat, that's lost revenue. So they want to put the right person into the right seat. And so we, sure enough, we built technology that predicted whether prices were going to go up or down in the next week or two and pass that information on to consumers so that if the price seemed high and we gave a signal that said, ah, we think it's going to go down actually in the next week, so wait to buy, then consumers could follow that advice and a lot of times save money. So another transparency play but let me tell you, it didn't take long for the airlines to sort of be like, hey, what's up with this? We don't like this one bit. And there was one airline in particular that really kind of took took a stand. Is it is it is it the one that's based here in my hometown of Atlanta? 
it it wasn't actually. Oh, okay. okay. It's an airline that now I think has merged with uh, another airline. Gotcha. But I but I've visited your fine town uh, during my my tenure at at Faircast and talked with uh, some of those airlines. So I've made those I've made those journeys before. The final one I'll say just to give you the breadth was that I uh, co-founded a company called Medify. And what Medify did was we mined medical research journal articles for facts and figures so they could be understood by lay people, specifically people who were caring for loved ones with complex and chronic illnesses. So God forbid, say you had a child with leukemia and you get 15 minutes a month with your doctor. So you're up all night searching the web like it's a rare form of leukemia and what do they know about it and what don't they know? Well, in the healthcare world, and I think that this is changing, but, you know, uh, 10 years ago, certainly, there's sort of like consumer-sanctioned medical information and non-consumer-sanctioned medical information. So maybe for your particular rare illness, there's a paragraph somewhere on health.com or WebMD describing what the condition is. But the real juicy stuff you want to know about, that's in medical research articles written by doctors for doctors. And we met people uh, in our journey that were, again, if you had a child like that, you'd be up all night doing anything you could to become an expert in that illness. And they were reading those medical journal articles. And so I thought to myself, and my partner and I said, if we use natural language processing technology, we can make this work easier for them and distill these facts up so that they don't have to go word for word through these, through these research articles and it turns out this stuff was useful to healthcare professionals as well, because, man, that technical jargon in those articles, the medical technical jargon, it's really hard to wade through. So that that was another transparency play. And again, Sean, you're not going to be surprised to hear me say we met some doctors that did not like this one bit. No, I, man, Jay, look, we you are you are my type of guy, Jay. <laughs> Let me just say that seriously, because this is, man, there's so many directions and, and, and now, uh, yeah, you, you've got my mind literally going down 600 different rabbit trails, but I'll, 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 I'll tug on one thread and it's, and it's this, the, the last play that you mentioned right with the medical field that that hits a little close to home because i have a a very good friend who he and his wife they actually ended up losing their daughter to mm -hmm. a rare form of cancer oh, right sorry to hear that and and when you and when you think about what the two of them had to go through yeah right jay i can only imagine them pouring over like i said these 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 pieces of research whatever they could get their hands on Exactly. And so, frankly, it is, it is a very good thing to do to make life a little bit easier for the next person coming behind you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's interesting, Jay, because when you think about it, right, that, that's, that's what, that's what my parents did. Mm -hmm. Right. My mom left Barbados, right. Went to England. Mm -hmm. And then came over here to the States. Right? Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's, and it's never, and, and it never was about her. Right. Mm -hmm. It was always about the next best thing, the next opportunity. Okay. 
okay, so we, we, we go from here to there. Things are kind of good. All right, but I know there's better out there. Mm -hmm. right? And so I'm going to go find it. Jay, I'm going to go, I'm going to do whatever I need to, to find it. And Jay, that's what I'm hearing from you in those three tremendous examples that you gave, right? It's okay. Here's, here's how things are, mm -hmm. right? Here's how, here's how ad placement is. And here's how travel is, Yeah. right? And here's how medical research is done. And here's how it's presented and there's consumer and non-consumer right it's like it's like the internet but then there's the dark web yeah right? and and so there's 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 always there's always better yeah right and yeah. like i said that is a that is a very american thing to yeah. do yeah right yeah and and there's a there's a right to information as well. And and whenever I hear about someone saying, well, yeah, that information exists, but you know, you're not qualified to to ingest that information or get a hold of that information. That that always just kind of inherently bothers me. It's like, really? Like I don't have a right? Like the a lot of this uh, DNA stuff with 23andMe and Ancestry and these things. I mean, the the uh, I'm not an expert in this, so I'll preface that. But I was an early 23andMe customer. Customer. This was more than 10 years ago. And this is my DNA. It's it's not all of my DNA. It's little snippets of it, but it's mine. It's about me. And the FDA started hassling uh, 23andMe, sort of saying like, well, we don't like the fact that you're giving medical advice to consumers based upon the DNA. We think that, that doc only doctors are qualified to do this. And so I was like, we say, what? Like, no, that's not, that's not right. This is my information. Right. And furthermore, and this was the truth at the time, I don't think my GP, my general practitioner doctor at the time, I don't think I don't think he knew a damn thing about DNA. Now the younger folks coming up do, and they're more skilled in it and, and understand it more, but it's an evolving technology yes. and it's evolving data and evolving understanding. So who's to say who can get what information, especially about themselves versus others? So it's interesting how a lot of this data and information and transparency stuff is oftentimes at kind of the cutting edge issues of our society. Well, and, and Jay, and so that, that kind of brings us full circle back to Zeitworks, right? Yeah. And, and what you guys are doing to uncover what really is going on, like as, as a, as a founder, all right, let's, I mean, let's just, let's just keep it 100, right? I've just gotten series A funding of whatever amount, right? Mm -hmm. And so this $9 million that's been given to me. Right. We, we have to, we have to spend it. We have to get engineers. We have to hire marketing people, salespeople, right? I want to know what, you know, can be done to help my salespeople be better, mm -hmm. right? My marketing people, you, you want to know what can be done to be more efficient, to, to, to give a better return on the money that's been invested in you. And, and, and maybe that's not the greatest of examples, but, yeah. but nonetheless, it is, you, you want to be a good steward mm -hmm. of the resources that you have at your disposal. Yeah. Right. And, and, and so I see Zeitworks coming alongside the organization to help them do just that. Yeah. Right. And so 
if if there's anything else you'd like to to add to that, Jay, please feel free. Yeah. Well, um, there's a lot of dimensions to doing these these early stage companies, right? Because if you if what you're doing is is easy and obvious, then then everybody would be doing it, and you'd have lots of competition. And so most most venture backed uh, technology startups are usually doing something that's out in front. It's ahead of its time. When it comes to technology, it's a little bit easier to see off into the future than maybe other aspects of life. It's like, well, we saw this phenomenon and then we saw that phenomenon. So probably this next thing is going to happen. And, and entrepreneurs are quick to pick up those ideas and say, well, I see where this puck is is going. I'm going to skate to it. And and again, if you get to the if you get to the to the uh, starting line uh, too late, there's already a bunch of people there, and you're competing against them. But if you get there too early, you got problems as well because you're doing something that maybe other people hadn't thought of, and so you have to educate them on what you're doing and the value of what you're bringing. And sometimes you get chicken and egg problems where it's like, well, what what value are you going to bring me if I become a pilot customer? It's like, well, I'm you're my first pilot customer, so I'm not totally sure. But bear with me, and I think that if uh, you work with me, I can show you that there's value. And if not, I'll apologize for wasting your time and and move on to something else. So the education part and the brand building part and all of those things is particularly because you probably want to be doing something at least a little bit different than the rest of the crowd is resource intensive and time intensive. And the main uh, the main resource that any early stage company uh, has to deal with is time and money. Time and money, they're good friends. They they hang out together. They do. Um, they run in the same circles, James. They totally do. And so as a CEO, I'm just constantly thinking about how much runway do we have? What can we get done in this in this unit of time that that gets us to the next level? And usually that's about getting customers. And and proving to customers your value, and then getting them to those are those are big mountains to climb. It takes a lot of effort, takes a lot of perseverance. All of these startup cliches about grit and tenacity and the dark nights and the sleepless nights and stuff—it's all true. It's it's really kind of what you're signing up for. But the passion and the creativity to bring a new solution to market that's really making a difference in some way is a lot of what the reward is. You can go to big companies and and work on small incremental changes and improvements and different things like that. But if you really want to carve your own big rock, if you will, and really own something big and really have your finger on the pulse of where it goes, the good and the bad of that, having the creativity and being able to show, look what I built, but also the liability of like, what if it doesn't work? But that's that's really the the what what these early stage stuff is all about. And and in some weird way, I feel like I can draw a line back to like music composition and playing music and stuff. And I like to tell people that I'm a generalist. We're kind of living in a specialist world where you're really deep on something. People will pay you a lot of money to do it. For better or for worse, I like wearing lots of hats. I like technology. I got a deep background there, but I'm in sales and marketing now and customer relations. And some of that stuff I do better than others, but I, I like wearing all those hats and being a generalist. Just like I like being able to play all the instruments in the band. I can't do them all at once, but one song I can play bass, another song I can play drums, another song I can play guitar, I can compose. Similar similar concept. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and Jay, you, you actually give us a nice segue into this question that I wanted to ask around what, what career advice 
would you give young people that are looking to get into technology? Sure. I would say uh, I, career advice I'd give any young person is follow your passions. Figure out what makes you really happy. Figure out what gives you an endorphin rush. The thing that really surprised me when I started teaching myself to program was how quickly the time would pass. I wasn't like the greatest student in high school. It's like, oh, I got to read this book. And God, am I, have I only read 10 pages? It feels like hours. And Suddenly when I was programming, I'd start at 9 p.m. at night. I was a college student and and uh, look up in the at the clock and it was four in the morning. And I was like, wow, like where did all the time go? And I realized like, man, I get a real endorphin rush out of doing this. So try to find that thing you're passionate about. If you're mission driven, work for something with a great mission, whether it's in healthcare or the environment or a nonprofit or, or what have you. And then I think in this world, really uh, make sure you seize upon all the incredible educational resources that are out there online. I mean, I'm constantly amazed by YouTube, for example. I, I In my YouTube feed are videos on musicians and music theory and music techniques but then right next to it is a video on the latest machine learning techniques and text-to-image generation and foundational models. And, and then I like watching woodworking videos, too, for some reason. It started showing me stuff, and I started watching them. And, and so I, really, I wish that when I was young and I bought that first computer and started the program that the educational resources that are available today were available to me back then because I probably never would have left the house. <laughs> well, and and Jay, and it's and it's so interesting, right? Because yeah, so I'll I'll date myself. I'm a, I'm a child of the '80s, came of age in the '80s, middle school, and it's funny because yeah, anything that we anything that we did with technology, whether it was class and you're typing something on the on the schools. Apple IIe or mm -hmm. going over to your friend's house to play Nintendo, it 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 was a thing. Yeah. Right? It was involved. Right? Today, you could literally and and so growing up, like I I and I still will watch dancing of most any variety, right? Mm -hmm. it's, I, dancing the, the what you can do with the human body and be in sync to music. It, it, it's just it's fascinating to me, right? Yeah. And yeah. so Think about kids halfway around the world in another country, right? I remember my cousins, going back to Barbados and talking about my mom and where my parents are from. I can remember going to Barbados and my cousins looking at me like, oh my goodness, the clothes, the shoes, the, the this, the that. And they're like amazed and blown away. Jay, that doesn't happen anymore today, right? Yeah. Like if you're interested in dance, fashion or anything, YouTube is where it's at, right? Yeah. I've got a teenage daughter. She lives on TikTok. Mm -hmm. Sure. TikTok and Snap. And it's yeah. and so and so those are those are the mediums now. Mm -hmm. Right? Those are the those are the places where people are getting their information and their inspiration. And so yeah, I I yeah. I, I, I love what you're saying about YouTube and just all the wonderful things that you can avail yourself of. Yeah, yeah. And just just like some of the other things we were talking about, there's there's pros and cons to all these things. As a, as a parent, we may lament that our child spends so much time on their device and never look up and never talk to us. But 
man, like I'm constantly still amazed about what the thing in my pocket can do for me and at so many levels and the way it's transformed my life, just speaking for myself. And so just, I think as a culture, just kind of learning to wrestle with sort of the good and the bad and the pros and the cons. And there's always been those challenges, I think, throughout history. And we have a new set of challenges now with misinformation and a lot of this stuff. But I, I, I ultimately, I dig it all. And I love the, again, I love the information that's available. I love how it can empower people. Think about somebody needing learning to dance 30 years ago may have required expensive classes and access to resources where today they just look at their phone and it's like, I'll see a TikTok video of somebody and they just mimic it and they're good to go. So it's empowering. It's empowerment and, and love that information is increasingly democratized for, for better or worse. Yeah. So I'll tell um, this funny story. So again, being a child of the 80s, I wanted to learn how to break dance. Mm -hmm. So what I what I had to do, Jay, is I had to go down to the local library mm -hmm. <laughs> and get the break dancing book. Yeah. Right. And it had yeah. all the moves and sure. each page showed you what to do. And so mm -hmm. exactly that's that's how you had to learn. Yeah. If you wanted to do anything, it was again very, very analog, very mm -hmm. deliberate. Yeah. You had to go over to your friend's house to practice, and he'd show you something, and then another friend would show you something, and then your cousin would show you something. But yeah. but now, yeah, you just literally go on, you know, that thing in your back pocket. Yeah. And it can and it can show you anything and everything that you want. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's just up to you what you do with it and where you take it and, you know, how you value it. All those things are just that's all changing and evolving. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, Jay, these next set of questions are going to be specific to you. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to name your favorite musician or band. Oh, geez. That one's tough. I grew up on uh, 60s and 70s rock, but then got into jazz when I was at Berkeley. And so we have a lot of admiration for whether it's Miles Davis or Coltrane or, or Dizzy Gillespie or Charlie Parker or any of those guys. But then I also loved Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and and uh, as a also as a child of the 80s, I love the police and Genesis and all those guys. So I, I love I love people who can play and really see their their music as a craft and really have chops, not too much chops. Because if you have too much chops, it can be kind of boring to listen to. I got exposed to some of that at Berkeley with these virtuosos. So I like a little bit of grit. I would say ultimately I'm a blues rock guy. And so anybody who falls into blues rock is is uh, something I'll, I'll likely have on my playlist a lot. Okay, good stuff. How about a favorite hobby or pastime? Well, one one thing I'll bring up is glass blowing. And so, so here's a little addendum to my computer story. So by the mid nineties, I was doing everything on the computer. I was doing music production. My job was on the computer. I was doing programming on the computer. I was on the computer a lot. And I started to burn out and started to, I don't know how to describe it. I just felt like kind of my perspective was going sideways and wobbly and 
I wasn't living in the moment. And so a girlfriend of mine was uh, starting to take glass blowing lessons. And so it was just kind of serendipity. Seattle is a big glass blowing town. Okay. Uh, this is good climate here to blow glass. It's temperate, but it's kind of cool in the winter. And and uh, so there's a lot of glass blowing studios around here. And what, the, what I noticed when I went to watch her and she showed me what she would make is that when you're blowing glass, it's it's silicon, it's wood, it's fire. I mean, it's very primal ingredients. And when you're working on your piece, you can't work on it over a number of days or weeks or months and keep coming back and obsessing about it. You have to work it right there in the moment. Mm. And if it comes out great and it doesn't crack or fall apart or it's not a piece of junk, awesome. Uh, but, you know, if it doesn't, if you mess up and it falls on the floor or whatever, you have to let it go and just not cry over it. Just I'm going to move on and start working on the next piece. And so that was cathartic for me. And so I blown glass kind of on and off for the last 25 years or so. And I don't sell it or anything. There's plenty of people who, who are very talented and, and do that. I give it away mostly to friends and family. It's fun walking into people's houses and seeing stuff I did 10 years ago or whatever. But stuff like that, I think, is really kind of my favorite. Everything else I obsess over too much. And I'm always looking back at something. Oh, I could have made that better or whatever. Okay. Well, Jay, you you are the first glass blower that I have had awesome. on the podcast. Yeah. So you are you are one of one, sir. You are dig it. Yeah, you are you yeah. are one of one for sure. All right. How about a favorite place to visit on vacation? Uh oh geez. So I've done some traveling in my time, uh, traveling to, to Asia and South Asia were just like mind-blowing experiences. And I really haven't done much traveling since the pandemic, and I'm just really itching to go. So back in the late 90s, I went to Vietnam and Thailand. In the 2000s, uh, I went to India a few times. And then in the 2015 kind of time frame, I went to China a bunch of times. Any of those places, I'd love to go to, I'd love to go to Turkey. I kind of have a little bit of a fascination with Roman history. I'd love to go visit some more sites in, in Europe and Eurasia and look at Ro Roman ruins and so forth. So yeah, any place ambitious that makes you uncomfortable, I think is a good place to go. Okay. I like it. I like it. Jay, what teacher at any level has had the greatest impact on you? I think probably my band teacher in middle school probably had the greatest impact on me. Because I was a drummer, and and people didn't like me drumming just because it was loud. And so my family and my siblings and stuff were like, shut up, it's too loud. And I lived in Chicago in the city, so there wasn't like places to go and practice very easily. And so I used to stay after school and practice. And and my teacher, my band teacher, was was very encouraging to me to, to do what I love to do and follow my dreams and so forth. And so he was a, he was a great guy. Okay. Well, shout out to that middle school band teacher. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Ralph Abernathy. Okay, Mr. Abernathy. That's good yeah. stuff, man. Uh, Jay, we have come to this last question, and so it finds us going back to 18-year-old Jay Bartow. Mm -hmm. And what advice is the Jay of today going to give his 18-year-old self? Uh, great. <laughs> great question. I think probably, I think learning to listen is a, is a lifelong 
endeavor. And there's lots of ways to listen and lots of different environments to listen. You have to listen to your kids and really hear what they're saying. You have to listen to your significant other, hear what they're saying. You have to even learn to listen to the other side, say in the political spectrum, where you may wildly disagree with what what they're saying and doing. And so I've learned to become a better listener over the years, probably like most most people. But if I could if I could whisper something into my 18-year-old self's ear, it would probably be get a jump start on learning to listen. I was always very passionate and determined and more sort of heads down and moving forward, but learning to listen and and also with regards to the glass blowing thing, learn to stop and smell the roses. Learn to just live in the moment uh, when you can. You can't always, but enjoy enjoy that aspect. Yeah, I, I think that's great advice, Dave especially staying in the moment, learning to listen. For, yeah, for those of us that are parents, I, I love what you said about listening to your kids. Mm-hmm. And, I'll, and I'll stay out of the emotional zone. But I think it is, it, is, it is very parental for us to only see that one way. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you kid, you listen to me. Yeah. Hey, don't do that. Hey, stop that. Hey. No, you can't have that. Oh. But but Jay, you unprompted, you you flipped it, right? And it's find out what is going on in the heart of your child. Yeah, Jay, I I, I don't know how many families would be intact today if they had flipped it, right? And yeah. just done what you had mentioned. Yeah. Hey. Yes, I'm the parent. Yes, I'm the adult. Yes, I've been through high school like you. But you know what? It's funny. When I talk to my daughter, and we just have the one child, it is it is amazing what you find out. Yeah. I, I mean, seriously. It's it is it is it is sometimes earth shattering what you find out because you're like, oh my gosh. Is yeah. That, is that is that what teenagers are dealing with today? Yeah. Is that yeah. How you're processing this particular subject or, or or this set of circumstances, and say if you're not listening, bro, you don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and you you as a parent, you really have to be a student of what it's like for teenagers today, because you can only imagine. And and there's opportunities for good conversations, and hopefully those are seized upon. There's a lot of times where it's, you just can't have a conversation. It's just not the right moment or not the right environment. And as I said, I mean, they're, they're, they're on the cutting edge of stuff that we didn't have to deal with when we were that age. And And a lot of the stuff we've invented that I was talking about earlier that's sitting in our pockets that has been so positive and trans- transformative is also causing headache and heartache for them and making their lives more complicated. And so it's you just have to be a student of it and learn what you can and do what you can. Yeah, Jay, that is that is so so very well stated. Jay, you have fast become one of my favorite people. <laughs> well, thanks, appreciate it, man. Seriously, this this has been, and I'm and I'm at a loss for words for how good this has been. Cool. But yeah. I just, but I, I seriously, seriously appreciate you. Yeah. And I, I cannot thank you enough for allowing me to go in the different directions. But just everything that you've shared, Jay, has been so good and so rich. And yes, just seriously, thank you for being a guest today.
Yeah, appreciate that, Sean. Great, great chatting with you and uh, hope we get a chance to do it again. Oh, for sure. We, we will definitely have that opportunity. And so, Jake, but before we go, what's the best way for people to stay connected with you or get in contact with you? Best way is just uh, LinkedIn and mention that uh, you heard me on, on this podcast. And if you're an entrepreneur and you need some advice or what have you, I'm happy to I'm happy to spare a few minutes and, and chat with you. It's still, even though I'm not working in the lab anymore, I love talking with entrepreneurs and encouraging entrepreneurs and seeing where I can be helpful. Awesome. And Jay, of course, we will have your contact information in the show notes. And again, thank you so very much for everything that you shared. And Tech and May Presents family, thank you as always for listening. And be sure to tune in next time when we will have another technology expert share their wisdom. Goodbye for now. Thanks. You've been listening to another episode of Tech and Main Presents. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends. And thanks for being a part of the Tech and Main Presents community.